Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And I have plenty of wonderful merch in my store, and the link is in my show notes. As well, if you're a fan of Canadian history, make sure you check out all of my shows, from John to Justin, Canadian History X, Canada, A Yearly Journey, and Pucks and Cups, along with Canada's Great War. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. Just click Donate. It helps keep this show going. Okay, on with the show. Welcome to part three of my look at every single election in Alberta's history. We're going to be looking at the social credit years. So let's begin with 1935. So far, Alberta has had two watershed elections in its history. The first was in 1921 when the United Farmers of Alberta swept a victory and ended the Liberal Party's time in power pretty much forever in Alberta. Next came in 1935. The Great Depression was raging and people wanted something to help them. There were thousands of people on relief, communities were bankrupt, and there seemed to be no end in sight. And that's where Bible Bill Eberhardt comes in, but we'll get to him. After John Brownlee had resigned as Premier over the sex scandal that dominated the headlines, check out my episode about him to learn all about that, Richard Gavin Ree took over the United Farmers of Alberta and the Premiership on July 10, 1934. Reed had less than a year before the next election, and he began several policy initiatives to deal with the Great Depression. First, he passed legislation allowing the government to purchase cattle from farmers who could no longer afford to feed them. He also worked out a cost-sharing agreement with the federal government and the railways to relocate farmers fleeing the Dust Belt. He called for the creation of a federal wheat marketing board and proposed protecting farmers from creditors. His government also experimented with universal health care in a proposal that would give free medical, dental, and hospital care. A pilot project was supposed to happen in Camrose, but the election ended that proposal. Despite all that he accomplished in a short time, his party was often at odds with him, and some felt he moved too far to the left towards the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation. The biggest problem for Reed was social credit and William Eberhardt. Eberhardt was stating that the gap between production and purchasing power in society was the cause of the Great Depression. Reed actually supported social credit, as it was envisioned by its creator C.H. Douglas, rather than the populist social credit put forward by Eberhardt. To that end, Reed called into question Eberhardt's understanding of social credit and the fact that Douglas did not like Eberhardt or believe that he understood his theories. He once called the policies of Eberhardt fallacious from start to finish. Reed hoped to capitalize on this. He invited Douglas to come to Alberta and serve as an economic reconstruction advisor, making $4,500 for a three-week round trip around the province. Douglas accepted, but many were angered at the money he received. Overall, the tour provided mixed results as Douglas was evasive in evaluating Eberhardt's version of social credit. William Bible Bill Eberhardt had worked as a school teacher for almost a decade when he was offered the position of principal at Mount Royal School in Calgary. Eberhardt was a devout churchgoer and in 1922 was leading the Westbourne Baptist Church. He also held a Bible study group in Calgary. By 1925, he was on CFCN broadcasting Sunday sermons, which quickly began to grow in popularity as his profile increased across the province. His popularity only increased as the Great Depression began, and it was at this time that Eberhardt started to turn towards social credit as a solution to the problems of the Depression. 
At the time, Eberhardt was not interested in politics, and from 1932 to 1935, he actually lobbied the United Farmers to adopt social credit theories, but they never did. He wrote to his niece in July 1933, stating, Some people tell me I should run for Premier of Alberta. Ha! I have no ambition along that line, but the radio broadcast has made me well-known all over the province. Most people don't believe that Eberhardt fully understood social credit theories. The theory was that prices rise faster than incomes when regarded as a flow. As a result, an individual's purchasing power should be supplemented through issuing of new credits that don't derive from the productive system. Eberhardt's solution to the problem of the Depression was issuing every adult citizen a monthly credit of $25 issued as a non-negotiable certificate, as it was his belief that the credit would allow people to buy food, shelter, and clothing. The people are beginning to realize that there is a solution for the problems of poverty and death and misery in this vast dominion so bountifully blessed with all the needs of mankind. That solution lies, fundamentally, in the distribution of more purchasing power. May I say this, men and women, unless you seize this election opportunity to demand monetary reform in Canada at once, your chance may be gone forever because within the next five years, the impending financial crash may come to engulf us in the chaos of ruined homes and farms and business that it will leave in its wake. This is your task. This your challenge. Fight through, I charge you, for the sake of your sons and daughters, if not for yourselves, so that they at least may live secure, happy, and unfettered in a new democracy that shall cover this great dominion from sea to sea. Going into the election, the Social Credit Party had very low expectations and they didn't even have a formal leader beyond their de facto leader in Aberhart. In fact, Eberhardt did not even run in the election, maintaining he was not pushing social credit for political gain. Eberhardt, despite not running, spoke for the party and using the skills he had honed over a decade on the radio, was an electrifying speaker that sparked the imaginations of those who listened to him. He would cry as he discussed the plight of the poor, get the audience laughing with a joke and then sell them on his message as they were held captive by his words. One farmer said, he appealed to us because he attacked the banks and mortgage companies really fierce. You should have heard the crowd applaud this part. Unable to convince the United Farmers of Alberta to adopt his policies, Eberhardt created his own party, the Social Credit Party of Alberta. As for the Alberta Liberals, they ran on the platform of the rest of Canada can't be wrong, which referred to the popularity of the Liberals elsewhere in Canada. Overall, this election campaign was seen as the most negative in Alberta's history. Many social credit members were accused of openly defacing campaign signs of opponents and drowning out speeches with honking horns. There were reports of cars smeared in red paint, sugar put in gas tanks, and even tires slashed. Most of the newspapers and nearly all of the major businesses in the province opposed the $25 credit offered by the Social Credit Party. In July, a group of businessmen formed the Economic Safety League to attack social credit to that end. The Calgary Herald offered its pages to Eberhardt to unveil the details of his intentions and plans for the credit. The conservative owners of the newspaper knew that Eberhardt had no plan and were hoping to expose it, but Eberhardt never took the bait. When he spoke, hecklers criticized him, and he simply said, One does not have to understand electricity to turn on a light switch. Eberhardt also called on his supporters to boycott various newspapers like the Calgary Herald. He stated, 
I don't think you'll miss it if you don't have it. I think you can get the news in another way. Some of the citizens of this province can't distinguish falsity from truth. The newspapers played directly into the hand of Aberhart, who used their attacks on him to portray himself as a countryman up against the big shots. At the time, bankers and businessmen were very unpopular as many residents in Alberta were barely getting by. Throughout the campaign, Aberhart appeared across the province. Sometimes he would give four speeches per day, and the UFA was unable to match his energy or the hysteria growing around him from the electorate. One Balzac woman said, Ask your local social credit supporter why he is voting social credit. All he knows is that his Moses has promised him $25 per month. How is he to get it? Who from? Or who has to suffer doesn't worry him. Santa Claus has told him to trust and believe. Ask no questions and all will be well. Former Premier John Brownlee, running in Pinoca, was often met with hecklers. At one point, while speaking at a rally, a group of single men heckled him by asking where his mistress was. At other meetings, hecklers said he would not be allowed to speak since he had nothing worthwhile to say. Heading into the election, despite the popularity of Aberhart, many social credit candidates doubted they could win. Norman James, a social credit candidate, said before the election, I really don't have much hope of winning, although I talked bravely and glibly of it being in the bag. My opponents were old campaigners with well-oiled machinery to use. We were greenhorns, blundering along with nothing much but an objective. Most thought the Liberals would win since the Federal Liberals were very popular, but the Liberal Party didn't have a clear path for voters to follow and often went whichever way the wind was blowing. As for the Conservatives, their association with Prime Minister R.B. Bennett would sink them. Now, the Social Credit were in for a surprise. In August 22, 1935's election, the United Farmers completely collapsed. They lost every seat they had held and finished with zero seats. Even Reid, the Premier, lost his seat in the election. A party wipeout such as this had happened only two other times in Canadian history, when the Prince Edward Island Conservatives lost every seat in the 1935 election, and when the New Brunswick Conservatives lost every seat in the 1987 election. The UFA never recovered from this defeat and were gone from provincial politics by 1937. The Labour Party also lost all of its seats, finishing with zero as well. For the Conservative Party, they lost four seats, finishing with only two, including one won by their leader, David Duggan. As for the Liberals, they lost eight seats, but had five seats in the legislature still and formed the official opposition. As for the Social Credit Party, they won 56 seats to achieve a massive majority in the first ever election. The party also won 54.7% of the vote. Only the Liberals had over 20%, and the remaining parties had less than 12%. Of course, with no leader, they needed someone to serve as Premier, and they chose Aberhart, who accepted and was sworn in as Premier on September 3, 1935. There were some poll stations where every vote went to the Social Credit Party. Party member Ernest Manning said, which means that even the scrutineers and election people of other parties ended up voting for the Social Candidate. With the type of atmosphere around, it was quite evident that the movement was going to elect a lot of members. The election was the first of nine consecutive wins for the Social Credit Party, who would rule Alberta until 1971. This election also saw a turnout of 80%, by far the highest in Alberta's history. 1940 Over the past five years since the last election, the government of William Bible Bill Aberhart had suffered some setbacks. On the one hand, Aberhart let the Second World War solve the unemployment problem, 
But on the other hand, every important legislation he passed was thrown out by the courts, and the provincial debt had risen from $12.9 million to $129 million. The biggest issue was that his government did not implement many of the policies it had promised in the 1935 election because of the poor financial position of the province. The prosperity certificates of $25 were not issued to the general public, despite that being a key part of the platform of the party. Instead, the money was used to pay relief workers on public work projects, and they were put into circulation via an agreement with municipalities. The certificates weren't technically money either, but they were marked with the value of $1 or $5. To prevent hoarding, a one-cent stamp had to be affixed to the back of the certificate every week to maintain its validity. This was deeply unpopular as many saw it as a tax on the money. Another issue was trying to find a seller who would actually take the certificates as money, and the program was eventually cancelled after one year. There were other problems for Bible Bill during his first mandate, specifically with the press. On September 20th, 1937, Bible Bill stated on his radio program, These creatures with mental hydrophobia will be taken in hand, and their biting and barking will cease. The creatures he referred to were the press, and on September 24th he put forward the Accurate News and Information Act. The act would allow the chair of the Social Credit Board to require a newspaper to reveal the names and addresses of its sources as well as its writers. If a newspaper did not comply, it would result in fines of up to $1,000 per day and prohibitions on the publishing of the newspaper. The Act would also require newspapers to print any statement which, as the Act says, has for its object the correction or amplification of any statement relating to any policy or activity of the government of the province. Not surprisingly, the Act was attacked immediately by opposition politicians who called it supporting fascism. International newspapers jumped on the criticism as well. One newspaper in England called Aperhart a little Hitler. The Edmonton Journal would state in an editorial, If this bill should pass and stand, where then would be freedom of speech and liberty of the press? Where then would be the liberty of the citizens to free expression of opinion? The press bill now before the legislature is a dictatorial challenge to every freedom-loving Canadian whose home is in Alberta. John Bowen, the lieutenant governor of Alberta, understood that this would be a very controversial issue, so he reserved royal assent of the act until the legality could be tested by the Supreme Court of Canada. Bible Bill was not pleased by this, and in 1938 he announced the elimination of the official residence of the lieutenant governor, his government car, and his staff. He never stated publicly, but it is felt that this was a direct response to the reservation of assent. And while the act was suspended with the reservation, that did not stop Bible Bill from attacking the press. It was around the same time that the Supreme Court ruled that the Accurate News and Information Act was beyond the power of the Alberta government and found that the Canadian Constitution included an implied Bill of Rights that protected freedom of speech as being critical in parliamentary democracy. For their fight against the act, the Pulitzer Prize Committee awarded the Edmonton Journal a bronze plaque, the first time a non-American newspaper was ever honoured. In addition, 95 newspapers around the province were presented with engraved certificates. One of the biggest accomplishments of Aberhart during his first term was the establishment of Alberta Treasury branches in 1938. The operations of the banks included special credit given for those who used made-in-Alberta goods. The Crown Corporation and financial institution continues to exist to this very day. Aberhart waited to call an election until the federal Liberals called their election. He then had his rescheduled for March 21st, five days before the federal election. Aberhart chose not to run in Okotoks High River as he was worried he would lose. 
Instead, he chose to run for one of five seats available in Calgary. This gave him a much better chance of re-election. He stated, I am picking up the gauntlet thrown at my feet by those who have said Eberhardt is afraid to let his name appear on the ballot in Calgary for fear of defeat. Recognizing that the Social Credit Party was still very powerful, the Conservative and Liberal parties decided to run joint candidates as part of what they called the Unity or Independent Movement. The Social Credits lost four of their own members to this party, having crossed the floor to it. Eberhardt called the union of these members a swindle and stated, when they know they are beaten under their own banner, they run as independents. The Labour Party also ran in this election, but for the most part were seen as a non-party with little chance of election success. The Liberals were two decades removed from their height, and their best days were behind them. Edward Gray served as a leader, and he only supported independent candidates that his party had a hand in nominating. Throughout the election, the Union Party had the full support of the press, who were no fans of Eberhardt and the social credits. For the most part, there was no neutral reporting as the papers featured speeches by Unity candidates. Then they would print a box on the front page of the papers detailing what Eberhardt promised and what he had in fact delivered. On two days, the Calgary Herald devoted four full columns to an expose on the alleged financial incompetence of the Social Credit Party. Nearly every editorial in the major papers attacked the Social Credit Party. Eberhardt said, it will take more than all the money the big shots can pour into this election, or the most ridiculous cartoon some moron can conceive. The Unity Party candidate, David Duggan, alleged that in 1936, Eberhardt entered into a deal so that an investor could buy Alberta bonds at 60% of their value, then exchange the bond issue at a lower interest rate. Eberhardt denied the charge, but when Duggan produced a signed copy of the agreement, he stated it was true. The Social Credit Party through Ernest Manning, attacked the Unity Party by asking if they would return interest rates to the original levels, reimburse bondholders, and if so, how would they do it without raising taxes? Then they ran on the slogans of, Keep Eberhardt and Keep the Sheriff Out, while the Union Party ran slogans such as, Free Yourself from Social Credit's Pocket Hitlerism. Election meetings were rowdy, and scuffles would often break out when Eberhardt was speaking. His supporters and detractors came to blow several times at meetings. At his wind-up rally at the Empire Theatre in Edmonton, ten policemen stormed in to stop people fighting in the crowd. Eberhardt stated that the world was watching the election. He said, The world is looking at this election. If you measure up, you will send an electric thrill through the world. In the March 21, 1940 election, the Social Credit Party lost 11 seats to finish with 36, which was still more than enough for a majority. This would be the most opposition that the party faced until the election in 1959. Eberhardt, who won his seat, said, I would like to say that I am very much delighted and quite satisfied with the results of the provincial election, as far as I know them at the present time. Prime Minister William Lyne Mackenzie King wrote in his diary the day of the election, An interesting feature of the evening was the beginning of returns from Alberta. They indicated that the social credit government was having a close run, though likely to be again in office. I'm quite sure that this evidence of the ground the social credit is losing in Alberta itself will react much to our favour on Tuesday. As it turned out, King was right. His party gained six seats to finish with a massive majority of 179 seats, the most in Canadian history to that point. The Independent Movement Party won 52 seats and became the official opposition. Despite having 17 less seats, the party only finished with 0.4% less of the popular vote. The party lost a number of seats by very small margins, and with a different election system, likely would have won the election. 
The Labour Party won only one seat in the election, while the Liberals lost five seats and finished with only one. The Cooperative Commonwealth Federation nominated candidates for the first time in this election, but even though they took 10% of the popular vote, while ahead of the Liberals and Labour, they won no seats. As the vote was held in March, there was surprise for the turnout that was high despite muddy roads and a snowstorm. The Nanaimo Daily News stated, One of the surprises of yesterday's balloting that saw a heavy vote despite snowstorms and muddy roads in different sections of the province as the poor showing of the CCF, which had 36 candidates. 1944 when the 1944 Alberta election rolled around, William Aberhart was gone as Premier of the province. He had not resigned, but passed away. After the 1940 election, Aberhart mostly dealt with the impact of the Second World War on Alberta. Employment was high and everyone had lots of money. Plans for further implementation of social credit were put on the back burner during those war years. The days of the Great Depression were over and most people had forgotten about the lack of follow-through on a number of promises Aberhart had made during that difficult time. Then, on May 23, 1943, Aberhart died suddenly while visiting his daughters in Vancouver. The Edmonton Journal wrote, Mr. Aberhart won worldwide fame in fighting for farm debtor relief and introduced much sweeping legislation along this line. He was buried in Burnaby and was succeeded by his long-term disciple, Ernest Manning. Manning moved away from the monetary theories of Douglas and social credit upon taking over as Premier. It was his goal to move the party to a more moderate path. Upon becoming Premier at the age of only 35, he was the youngest Premier or First Minister in the history of the British parliamentary system since William the Pitt Younger in the United Kingdom over 150 years previous. The task of taking over as Premier was not going to be an easy one for Manning with the shadow of Aberhart. The Edmonton Journal wrote on June 1, 1943, The strong personality of the late Premier only adds to the initial difficulties of his task, for as today and tomorrow, the Social Credit Weekly, to put in a special editorial article paying tribute to Aberhart, no one else can take his place. This would be the first election for Manning, who had served in the legislature since 1935. And although Manning was coy on whether an election would be called, on July 4, 1944, he stated he didn't know where the talk was coming from, adding, One has not been called, and such is not contemplated. A few days later, he called an election. The independent movement still existed and was led by James H. Walker, who had been part of the United Farmers of Alberta before becoming the leader of the independent movement in 1941, after he was elected to the legislature in 1940. The Cooperative Commonwealth was led by Elmer Roper, who had first been elected in 1942 and took over as leader of the party upon the death of the previous leader, David Duggan. The party was proving to be very popular, and they won the nationalization of private utilities. A new party emerged for this election as well, the Veterans and Active Force, which was a one-man political party led by William J. Williams, who was a Second World War veteran. Throughout the campaign, Manning campaigned on social credit being the only alternative to socialism and communism. He stated, The old order of the past has gone forever. People are convinced of that. What are they going to put in its place? That is the question. In all other provinces, they have had only one movement to which to turn, socialism. Alberta is the only province which has any other alternative, social credit. Compared to previous elections, this one was a quiet affair. It was far less bitter compared to the 1935 or even the 1940 election. 
Manning spent most of his campaign criticizing the CCF's plans to socialize various companies. One plan by the CCF to socialize the Calgary Power Company was heavily criticized by Manning, stating it would create $20 million in debt and an interest payment of $600,000. Manning began to call the election day U-Day, citing it as a day of united action similar to D-Day. He said... On D-Day, troops launched a united assault on German aggression in Europe. On U-Day, you, the individual voter, have a responsibility and a job to do. The election is up to you. In the election, servicemen and veterans voted in the first phase of the election on August 4, 1944, four days before the main election. In the August 8, 1944 election, the Social Credit Party under Ernest Manning won a resounding victory, by picking up 16 seats to finish with 51. They also took over 50% of the vote. Manning said, Once more the enlightened electorate in Canada has spoken with a clear and unmistakable voice. The sweeping verdict, which they have today rendered at the polls, may regard it fourfold. He then cited it was an endorsement of the government, an expression of confidence, a repudiation of socialism, and a rejection of deceptive political practices. The independent movement earned only three seats, dropping from 15 before the election. And even though the party had 48 seats fewer than the Social Credit Party, they were still the official opposition. The Cooperative Commonwealth won one more seat, finishing with two seats. This was a shock for the party who believed they were about to break through politically. The Veterans and Active Force Party won the only seat it contested. 1948 as Alberta moved to the last election of the 1940s, the Social Credit Party was looking to hold on to power, which it had since 1935. As it turned out, very little would change in the election. Only the three main parties contested the election as well. Social Credit were still led by Ernest Manning, who was hoping to win his second election and remain as Premier. The province had moved out of the Second World War, and Manning remained incredibly popular. He had also served as a provincial treasurer during those years. The province had a major change on the horizon after a huge oil deposit was discovered at Leduc in 1947. This would fundamentally alter the economic prospects of the province and make it one of the richest in the country. Oil and gas would slowly become the most important industry in the province, reshaping provincial politics as well. This also moved the province towards developing the oil sands under Manning's premiership. Manning was also very anti-communist, as well as anti-media, believing they were full of Marxists and sympathetic to the cause of communism. He said at one point, Evident in my view in the news media, which are heavily slanted, as a general rule favorably slanted, to socialist philosophy, this isn't by chance, it is because communism has been smart enough to see that there are always a goodly number of men in that field who are sympathetic to the socialist and even communist philosophy. In 1946, Manning's government began censoring communist propaganda films in an effort to eliminate what he saw as communism throughout Alberta's shown movies. This meant banning of several films including Blackboard Jungle and The Wild Ones. Manning was also anti-union and considered labor strikes to be communist and anti-Christian. When the January 1948 coal miner strike broke out with thousands of coal miners striking, the province was in danger of losing power. The strike was so large it accounted for 30% of all time lost to strikes in Canada that year. This began a move by Manning to rewrite the labour laws of the province by March so that the government could shut down the strike. The Cooperative Commonwealth Party, still led by Elmer Roper, hoped to improve on the two seats the party had in the legislature. 
James H. Prowse led the Liberals, who were far removed from their heyday of four decades previous. Heading into the election, there were 173 candidates going for 57 seats. The total cost of the election was $250,000 or $3.2 million today. The CCF attacked Manning and the Social Credit Party over claims the private companies were making millions of dollars from the province's natural resources and the residents of Alberta were not getting a fair share. Manning denied this was the case and that the government had been pursuing a consistent policy when it came to natural resources. He said, Alberta's natural resources are being developed in the best interests of all citizens. On the election ballot was also a plebiscite on public power. Manning said in July 1947 that the government would not take over the rural electric companies. Then he told the companies to put in place a rural electrification program to provide service to at least 21,500 farms within the areas they serviced. Among the public, there was a demand for the government to take over the power companies. Manning said, the government proposes to ascertain to implement the wishes of the people themselves in this important matter. Overall, few expected the Liberal Party to accomplish anything in the election, but the Liberals hoped to gain some of the votes going to the CCF. Overall, things did not go well for the CCF despite their support of public ownership of electricity. City councillors in Edmonton and Calgary were deeply critical of the CCF and the public electricity plan, leading to Roper defending himself against not only rival parties, but city officials as well. So, voters would also choose in the election if they wanted public power, something the CCF wanted and hoped to put in place. In the August 17, 1948 election, Ernest Manning and the Social Credit Party easily won the election with 55% of the vote. The party picked up one more seat in the election to finish with 51 and a massive majority once again. Manning said, Now that the election is over, I hope that all our people will forget their political differences and that we may unitedly go forward together to ensure to all our people in full benefits of the great era of economic and industrial development. The CCF didn't see a seat change, going into the election with two seats and finishing with two. As for the Liberals, they went from one seat to two and now sat tied with the CCF in the legislature. Prowse said, We have gained experience. We now have the nucleus of an organization on which we will build. We will begin, as of this moment, to prepare ourselves so that we can do a better job in the contests which lie ahead of us. The Manning government would make fun of the results of the CCF and Liberals commenting that they should buy tandem bicycles. Regarding the plebiscite, the final results was 139,991 for private power versus 139,840 for public ownership. The result was so close it had to be counted three times, but the end result was the same. Albertans wanted private power, not public. In total, 34 of 47 seats outside Calgary and Edmonton supported public power, but it was the cities that carried the day. CCF leader Roper said, The people have obviously chosen rural electrification and then turned around and voted against the only party that was advocating for it. It is no dissatisfaction among the people. Times are very prosperous. Therefore, it is natural the vote went the way it did. And one last point about this election. While Alberta did not have prohibition in the 1940s and had not had it since the 1910s and 1920s, there would be no liquor for many in the election. The Alberta Liquor Control Board denied dispensing privileges to all clubs and service messes, as well as hotel beer parlors and government liquor stores on election day. 1952 Since 1935, the Social Credit Party had been the ruling party in Alberta and had won majority after majority to continue that trend. 
As the 1950s dawned, the economy was booming. Alberta was enjoying newfound oil wealth, and Premier Ernest Manning remained incredibly popular. All signs were pointing to the 1952 election being another big win for the social credits. In 1949, after the party's last election win, the oil wealth was streaming in towards the government, allowing it to pay the provincial debt for the first time. Manning continued to lead the Social Credit Party. The Liberals were once again led by James Prowse, while the CCF had Elmer Roper at the helm again. The Conservative Party, mostly dormant over the past few elections, had no leader. Neither the CCF or the Conservatives ran candidates in all ridings, and the Conservatives, for their part, ran no candidates in rural ridings. The Liberals and the CCF criticized Manning during the campaign, stating he was not diversifying the economy enough and relying too much on the oil and gas industry. They also believed that rather than using oil money for paying off its own debts, the province should help residents and municipalities. Between 1945 and 1952, the municipalities in Alberta had seen the debt they carried triple, from $42 million to $116 million. Of course, for most this didn't matter because everyone was doing well, it seemed. City dwellers and rural residents were both earning more money than ever before, and the government was increasing spending everywhere. Expenditures were expected to be $74 million in 1950, while revenue was $77 million. It turned out that revenues totaled $118 million. In 1951, the government spent $93 million and provided an astonishing $25 million for municipalities, schools, and hospitals. They also gave $13 million for the development of major highways. The increase of spending between 1950 and 1951 was $2 million more than the entire first social credit budget in 1936. And the election overall was relatively quiet, and it was believed it would be a foregone conclusion. In all, 181 candidates were seeking a seat in the legislature, which had 61 seats at the time. The total cost of the election would be about $500,000. In the August 5, 1952 election, the Social Credit Party gained another four seats to finish with 53 and another massive majority. The party picked up 56% of the popular vote, over 30% more than the next closest party, the Liberals. Manning said on election night, Now that the election is over, let us all forget our differences and apply ourselves in a united effort to work together. The Liberals gained one seat, finishing with three to form the official opposition. That title, with a government so popular and powerful, was essentially meaningless, though. Prowse said, We must remember that our purpose was not to throw out the social credit government, but to work for and lead the people until they realize how they've been misled and betrayed by the social credit party. The CCF won no more seats and lost none, to finish with two, which tied them with the Conservatives, who won two seats as well. Roper said, This looks like the same story. I'm sure Mr. Manning must be very happy at what looks like another overwhelming endorsement of his government. The election saw 298,000 people turn out, an increase of 4,000 from the 1948 election, with a total voter turnout of 59%. Nineteen fifty-five. While the 1952 election was a foregone conclusion, things were not so cut and dry as the province moved towards its next election in 1955. In fact, no one was expecting an election in 1955, as it was not scheduled for another two years, but that all changed due to some angry exchanges in the legislature. When Liberal leader James Prowse questioned the confidence of the government during question period regarding the dealings of the Social Credit Caucus with the Alberta Treasury Branch, the issue related to the fact that the Legislative Assembly Act exempted the Treasury Branch transactions from the prohibitions of the Act. 
This allowed MLAs to take out loans and make deposits into Treasury branches without disqualification. Prowse determined that every member of the Social Credit Party had dealings with the Treasury branch before the amendment was passed, therefore all of them were disqualified and the amendment itself was not legal. Premier Ernest Manning immediately suspended the session and told reporters that the implications were serious. The following day, he called a snap election and blamed Prowse for creating, in his words, in the public mind, unwarranted suspicion and doubt. Alberta was now heading to an election. Manning said later during the campaign, The true reason the election was called was not because of the imaginary reasons as the opposition is insinuated, but rather a simple reason. The right of elected members to sit in the House had been challenged. The issue was a big one in Alberta, and the Edmonton Journal stated that if claims were unfounded, then why was the government going to an election rather than facing the music? The Edmonton Journal attacked the Social Credit Party heavily, even advising that the Liberals and Conservatives make each other candidates their own second choice. It stated in one editorial, The future of Alberta is at stake. Even the Calgary Herald was harsh, and calling the entire affair, an intolerable and inexcusable situation which demonstrated the utmost contempt for established parliamentary procedures. Overall, the campaign was far more exciting since any election dating back to the days of Bible Bill Aberhart. Manning, throughout the campaign, insisted that his MLAs had done nothing wrong. At the same time, he stated he would prohibit members from borrowing from the Treasury branch. He was also forced to constantly defend himself. At one point in Grand Prairie, he said... Confused, slanderous, and misinformed opposition members with their destructive criticisms would have you believe that the persons borrowing money from the Treasury branches were doing so out of the public Treasury. This is not so. The money in the Treasury branches is not from the public Treasury, and is money deposited by persons using the facilities of the Treasury branches. He also claimed that the opposition was spending tremendous amounts of money to defeat the Social Credit Party. Knowing his party was against the wall, Manning actually allowed questions from the audience at rallies, something he had never done before. And this was not always a good idea, as it also brought hecklers. At one point, just before election day, one man asked a question and the Premier responded, Sit down. I'm here to talk and you can ask questions later. The social credit slogan was, Take a look at the rest of Canada, as a means of showing how good Alberta was doing with the social credit party leading. W.J.C. Kirby, a conservative candidate, said to that, If you take a look at Manitoba and Saskatchewan, and I urge you to, you will not vote for social credit in this election. Prowse continued to attack the social credit party throughout the election campaign, but also called for more money for municipalities and more restrictions on oil and gas exporting. He also brought to light that Manning had done a land swap with the government on the edge of his farm, which allowed for eight oil wells rather than five, while also leasing the land rights to an Alberta oil company. Elmer Roper and the CCF were not seen as a major threat to any party in the election, but Roper would promise to give electrification to every part of the province without any cost to the farmer. He also criticized the current system that saw the farmers of Alberta go $16 million into debt. By the time the election day came along, 200 candidates were running, but two were removed from the social credit ballots. On the last day of the campaign, Manning barred two candidates, Roy Lee and John Landerhue, from running as candidates due to renting a building to the provincial government. This violated the Legislative Assembly Act. However, the ballots were already printed and both men were still listed under the social credit name. Manning said, They received no support from me. They received no support from the Social Credit League. 
Just before residents went to the ballots, criticizing the tactics of the opposition parties, Manning said, There is something wrong from the opposition parties that have to get down to that type of criticism to achieve the election. In the June 29, 1955 election, the Social Credit Party won 37 seats, a drop of 16 seats. This was the lowest amount of seats the party had won since 1940 when it picked up 36. The party also lost 10% of the popular vote, Manning said. The returns leave no doubt the Social Credit government will have a substantial majority, enabling us to carry on in the future the fine type of administration of the past 20 years. The Liberal Party surged ahead with a gain of 12 seats, finishing with 15 and a much stronger opposition. This was the highest seat total for the party since the early days when it was doing very well and ruled the province. The Conservative Party won one extra seat, finishing with three, while the CCF Party won no more seats, finishing with two again, but party leader Elmer Roper lost his seat, ending his time as leader of the party. Roper said, I think you should say the election has taken the steam out of the social credit steamroller. This election was a two-sided affair. There were many persons who wanted to see the present government changed, and many of their votes went to the Liberals. The voter turnout was also high, sitting at 68%. This election was also the last time that Alberta used the alternative vote instant runoff voting system, which was used in rural constituencies, and the single transferable vote system in Edmonton and Calgary. This was used since 1924. After this election, the first-past-the-post system would be used. 1959 After the 1955 election that saw the support for the Social Credit Party fall to its lowest level in years, Manning was hoping for a different result as he approached the 1959 election. For the 1959 election, he announced a five-year plan and he blamed John Diefenbaker for shutting Alberta out of American oil markets. The five-year plan put forward by Manning would be a major feature of the election. It was featured in all election material, along with many pictures of Manning himself. This five-year plan included 50 modern houses for 4,100 senior citizens, $350 million for scholarship funds to students in the province, a new provincial hospital and an expansion of health care in the province, a highway and bridge program, and more municipal assistance from the government. Prowse was gone as leader of the Liberals, now replaced with the popular and future Lieutenant Governor of Alberta, Grant McEwen. McEwen had been elected to the legislature in 1955 and was relatively new to politics and had spent most of his life as an academic to this point. Floyd Johnson was now the leader of the CCF, replacing Elmer Roper, who resigned in 1957. He did not have a seat in the legislature, but had been a member of the CCF since its founding in 1932. The Progressive Conservatives, who were hoping for a breakthrough thanks to the massive federal election win by the Federal Party under John Diefenbaker the previous year, were led by Cam Kirby, who was first elected to the legislature in 1954. Throughout the election campaign, Kirby would have the backing of the popular Diefenbaker. Well, Premier Manning, what views did you put forward on Alberta's oil problem, the problem of exporting oil to Prime Minister Diefenbaker here in Ottawa? Well, I discussed with the Prime Minister today the whole problem of the need for increased markets for the oil being produced in Western Canada. As you probably know, our development there has gone ahead very rapidly, and we are now marketing less than 50% of the oil that we are able to produce. That, you realize, presents a considerable problem from the standpoint of further expansion of the industry. So I was really here today to discuss with him the whole question of the any steps that may be taken to increase the markets for Alberta 
oil both domestically and abroad. In what way does the Alberta government think that the federal government can help solve Alberta's oil problems? Well, as you probably appreciate at this stage, we are producing in Western Canada sufficient oil for all of Canada's requirements. Uh, only a relatively small portion of that is consumed in Alberta and the other Western provinces. And so it rises, raises all of the problems as to whether it's possible to give more of that Canadian production into the other areas of Canada where oil today is coming from outside sources. Now, there are economic and other problems there that are very complicated and which will be very difficult of solution. And two, we are interested, of course, in the markets for oil that are possible to us in the United States, and because that involves international trade, that again is a field in which the federal government has a very direct interest. The election didn't have the scandals of the previous one. The biggest scandal appeared to be when Manning used the same speech in Medicine Hat as he did in Lethbridge. As a result, the election was called quiet. The Montreal Gazette wrote, The campaign by Liberal, Progressive Conservative and CCF parties to unseat the Social Credit Administration has been calm. Interest in the last election in 1955 was sparked by opposition charges of maladministration against the government. In all, 216 nominees were vying for 65 seats in the legislature. This election was notable for the fact that a record 10 women were running in the election. The Social Credit Party had four, the Progressive Conservatives had one, and the Liberals had three, while the CCF had two. The Edmonton Journal and Calgary Herald both opposed the government, calling it old, dispirited, and unimagined. Instead, they put their support behind the Progressive Conservatives. In this election, the Social Credit Party did not use instant runoff voting or the single transferable vote, which had been in place since 1924. Manning stated that this was to prevent a wasting of votes due to poor ballot marking. It also brought Alberta in line with the rest of Canada that used the first-past-the-post system. The change in the style of voting in the cities also resulted in an increase of seats for the province, especially in Edmonton and Calgary. Many criticized the Social Credit Party for these changes as it was believed the party was changing the rules to help itself. The public was not consulted, but in the polls there seemed to be no negative impact. The previous election had most of the opponents to the Social Credit Party united behind the Liberal Party, allowing that party to sweep ahead to become the official opposition. This time the parties were not united, and that would be good news for the Social Credit Party. Manning simply campaigned on his government's record and stated that his political opponents would promise anything to buy political support. The campaign of Kirby and the Progressive Conservatives was described as original but also confusing. The Saskatoon Star Phoenix said, Not only is he unveiling the Progressive Conservative platform in installments, with the undisclosed planks wrapped in such secrecy that even Tory candidates apparently do not know what is written on them, he is also waging a constituency war on the social credit government in his travels about the province. In the June 18, 1959 election, the Social Credit Party won 61 seats, increasing its total by 24 from the 1955 election. This was the most seats won by the party to that point, and it was the most seats the party would ever win. The party also increased its share of the popular vote by 55%, an increase of nearly 10%. They also had 61 of 63 seats in the legislature. Manning said, I feel a tremendous burden of responsibility that is ours in the light of the confidence you have expressed. The win was so overwhelming that Marjorie Fairley, with the Calgary Herald, made light of the fact that if the election happened in Russia, Canadians would have said it was fixed. 
The Progressive Conservatives became the official opposition by winning one seat, a decrease from two from the previous election. The party also captured 24% of the vote. The Liberal Party collapsed in the election, losing 14 seats to finish with one. The party also lost an astounding 17% of the popular vote. As for the CCF, they lost their only seat and were shut out of the legislature for the first time in 17 years. Naturally, McEwen lost his own seat in the election, but he'd be okay and became a celebrated figure in Alberta after this election. He would serve as the mayor of Calgary from 1963 to 1965 and the lieutenant governor of Alberta from 1966 to 1974. Unfortunately for Kirby, he lost his own seat by 3,000 votes and was out of politics and out as leader the following year. In all, 59% of voters came out for the election. This election was also notable for the fact that it was the first time in the history of the province that no opposition MLA was elected in Edmonton. Four women were also elected in this election. 1963 As Alberta moved towards its next election in 1963, the Social Credit Party was so confident in winning that they had the unofficial slogan of 63 and 63. The goal was to win every single seat in the legislature, 63 in all, in the election. The previous years had been good for Manning, who was as popular as ever in the province. In 1962, he oversaw the creation of the first commercial oil sands project in Canada, which would fundamentally change the economy of Alberta as much as the Leduc No. 1 oil discovery did 16 years previous. After the last election win, Manning implemented his five-year plan that was a keystone for the last election platform for him. Work would begin on new hospitals, a program for handicapped children, and a provincial museum. Most would be delayed, though, with some coming after the next election. Nonetheless, 9 of 36 auxiliary hospitals and 29 of the 54 hospitals were completed within the five years. The highway budget increased and 9,700 kilometers of highway were built, along with 2,094 bridges. The Liberals were now led by Dave Hunter, a Second World War veteran who had won the leadership convention on January 16, 1962. The Progressive Conservatives were led by Milt Horendens, a lawyer, Second World War veteran and pilot. After serving on the Calgary City Council, he became the leader of the party, and he was known for his flamboyant personality. He would make headlines throughout the campaign and would begin to change the fortunes of the party. Manning announced a free enterprise working version of Medicare as well that served as an alternative to the universal Medicare introduced by Tommy Douglas in Saskatchewan that he unveiled in the campaign. It relied on private health insurance plans and provided subsidies to enable the poor to meet their premiums. Doctors would set their own fees, which saved the province from a doctor strike like Saskatchewan had. Manning also unveiled the next five-year plan, which he called Alberta's next big step forward. It featured the new version of Medicare, a Northern Development Council, a provincial police force, and more money for schools, hospitals, and roads. Throughout this campaign as well, Hordens flew his red P-51 Mustang across the province to reach the campaign stops. And at this point, it was generally felt that people were voting for Manning, not the Social Credit Party. The Calgary Herald said, More people will vote for Manning than will vote for Social Credit. Overall, the election attracted very little attention on the province, and most expected the Social Credit Party would easily win. The Red Deer Advocate wrote, the Social Credit government has campaigned on its record of doing a concerted grassroots rebuilding job in the last eight months. Manning spoke of the lack of interest in the election, stating that the only thing that concerned him about the election was that nobody seemed to care. 
Manning used his own experience as an election platform, stating that the other opposition leaders lacked experience to lead the province. He also laid claims that the opposition was in the gutter for claiming there was corruption and wasteful spending in the highway department. He said, The opposition has sunk to the gutter in an attempt to gain votes. Such charges are the oldest of dodges in the cheap party politics. This election saw 226 candidates enter the race for the 63 seats in the legislature. In the June 17, 1963 election, the Social Credit Party won 60 seats. Just short of its goal of winning every single seat in the election, it was the greatest share of seats ever won by the party, Manning said. The work of government will resume as usual. Once every four years we take a day off, it is the People's Day. The election also saw the last acclamation for an MLA to date in Alberta election history. Leonard Halmrest won his seat in the Tabor Warner by acclamation. He'd been in the legislature since 1945, and he would retire in 1967. The Liberal Party under Hunter won one extra seat, reaching two seats in total. With those two seats, the party formed the official opposition. The Progressive Conservatives lost their seats and finished with zero, while an independent candidate won one seat in the election. Horndon said, Wait till next year, then we will have something to really shout and celebrate about. After losing his bid for a seat, Hordens went down to the Liberal headquarters of Bill Dickey nearby. He stated, Congratulations, Bill. I'm sorry I won't be going up there with you. While the Progressive Conservatives lost the election, the campaign of Hordens laid the foundation that the Progressive Conservative Party would build on and it would inspire a man by the name of Peter Lougheed. 1967 since 1935, the Social Credit Party had dominated Alberta politics. They seemed invincible, but things were about to change, and it began with this election. Ernest Manning still led the Social Credit Party as he had since 1943, and he remained incredibly popular. In 1966, he began the process to have Alberta gain its own specific flag, and various flag designs were submitted before the current flag was chosen. It would eventually be approved by the legislature on June 1, 1968. The Progressive Conservatives were led by a new man, a young and dynamic lawyer from Edmonton named Peter Lougheed. He had taken over as leader in 1965 and began to reform the party and build its base. The party was considered a non-player in the legislature at the time, and little was expected of them. Meanwhile, the Liberals were led by Michael Magano, who took over as leader on January 28, 1967. He had served in the legislature since 1955 and became the first Italian-Canadian to lead a major political party in Canada. This election was notable in that it was the first time Indigenous Albertans could vote in a provincial election. The Social Credit Party was well prepared for the 1967 election and had a lot of money sitting in their election account. This election campaign was not going to be smooth as the last one though. The party was being criticized for its low royalty rates on oil and gas compared to other oil-rich nations. The campaign for the party mostly focused on their government record rather than any policy commitments. One of the few promises the party made was to study rising car insurance rates. Throughout the campaign, Manning attacked the opposition, stating they were guilty of political dishonesty. There was internal controversy as well when Albert Broussier, who was a social credit MLA from 1935 to 1952, filed papers to contest the Edmonton-Jasper Place election. The problem was he was going against incumbent social credit MLA John Horan. Boussier had been ejected from the party prior to the election, the second time this had happened. The Progressive Conservative election campaign differed heavily from that of the social credit party. Lougheed and his candidates worked constantly to get the word out in every riding in the province. 
Even though the party only had 47 candidates, they still visited all 65 ridings. Hi. Uh, don't get me in this. <laughs> hello. Hello. Peter Waheed. What's Ted, the name, sir? Ted Ewing. Nice to say hello to you, Ted. Nice I appreciate a chance to come by and meet everybody in the district. Well, I admire the way in which you're really going after. Well, I think it's an interesting way to do it, and no regrets. I've seen your picture in the paper, and I've read your accounts, and I'm sympathetic towards you. All right, Ted, I appreciate that. Well, my feeling is it's easy to get on television, but the important thing is to come and take the time to meet you. And, I, sure and I really appreciate the chance to do it, too. Well, it's, uh, I, as I said before, I sure admire the way in which you're going after this. Well, we're working at it. Yes. Anything worthwhile is worth fighting for. That's right. Fine, Ted. Nice to meet Good you. Good luck to you. Thank you, Art. Hi, Peter Wahid. Nice to meet you, Bruce. Good morning. How are well, you? got the kids working, eh? Yeah, that's Nice sure. going. Well, I see that you're working. <laughs> How about that? How are you? Pretty, Pretty good. good. Pretty What's good. the name? DeBolster. What's the first name? Henry. Nice to say hello, Henry. Yes, sir. Hi, yes, how sir. are you? Pretty good. Nice so to I meet you. Yeah. Running around? Well, I think it's important to meet people in an election. Yeah. It's easy to get on television, but I think I'd like to come and say hello and meet you. I see. How can you represent people you've never met? No, no, that is that is correct. And we've enjoyed it. That's my son Stevie. Hello, Steve. Steve. Oh, he makes me sure I run fast enough. That's good. That's good. How many little little people we got here? We have seven here. I thought you. Boy, you got them organized. That's, that's the way to do it. Okay. Thanks to say hello. Okay. We'll see you. Right. Bye. Lawhee had been preparing for the election for some time and chose candidates who had public profiles in their writing in order to improve the chances of winning. This included newspaper editors, mayors, and board of trade presidents. Knowing that the party could not form a government yet, Lawhee focused on forming the official opposition. The party used vibrant red, white, and blue promotional materials with the slogan of, Alberta needs an alternative. Alberta had never had a major public debate, and Lougheed pressed all four party members to debate, but Manning stated he would not. For Manning, he didn't feel the debate would benefit him. He changed his opinion when Edmonton church leaders decided to host a leaders' debate, and Manning accepted at that point. In the debate, Lougheed did very well, and he was praised by the Edmonton Journal, and many consider this to be the point where the progressive conservatives began to make gains in the city. Lougheed was raising his profile enough that McLean stated he was the only candidate with a chance of challenging Manning. In their campaign, the Progressive Conservatives called for the sale of Alberta government telephones. In order to appeal to rural voters, he also campaigned on providing Canada Pension Plan contributions to farmers and self-employed persons. He stated it would cost about $250,000 and provide a measure of relief to farmers. Manning didn't see the Progressive Conservatives as any sort of challenge, and it was his belief the main challenge was from the NDP. This was likely because only the NDP and Social Credit had a full slate of candidates running. The NDP, meanwhile, campaigned on an open society, meaning a government open to its internal dealings, which was not secretive. Overall, though, the election was not an interesting one. The Brandon Sun wrote, Provincial elections generally are less exciting than federal elections. It's not because they are less important, but because the issues discussed are closer to home and therefore a bit less glamorous and a bit more complicated. The Alberta election campaign, with some two weeks to go, is no exception. The Calgary Herald agreed with this, writing, Dullness has been the prime characteristic of the Alberta election campaign so far. 
The parties have announced their platforms. The politicians have enunciated what they consider to be the basic issues at stake. Unfortunately, what a political candidate may consider to be an issue frequently does not succeed in wooing any thoughtful response from the voter. In the May 23, 1967 election, Manning won another majority government as the Social Credit Party won its ninth consecutive election. The party won 55 seats, down from 60 from the previous election. People are responsible and demonstrated they are believers in the dignity of the individual. This proved to be an ominous sign for the party, and the heyday of the Social Credit Party was coming to an end. The Progressive Conservatives won six seats, finishing with six and becoming the official opposition. The party also picked up 13% of the popular vote to finish with 26%. Most of the party's seats were won in Calgary and Edmonton, as the Social Credit Party was slow to adapt to the changes happening in those cities. Lougheed said, We were in an excellent position. The prospects that we will form the government in the next four years are very favourable. It shows that the people have been looking for a new force. They don't like the one-party legislature, and they prefer the new force to be conservative. Manning said of the surge by the progressive conservatives, I think there will be a constructive opposition. I know Peter Lougheed, and I'm sure he will add to the proceedings of the House. The Liberals didn't win any more seats, but lost none, maintaining three seats in the legislature. However, they did lose 9% of the vote. Maxiano said, I have no apologies to offer. I'm not crying. He also praised Lougheed, saying, They started off with a good leader, and I got two years to get ready. The election also had a daylight saving time plebiscite, which looked at if residents wanted to adopt daylight saving time across the province. In the plebiscite, 485,235 people cast a ballot, and the no side won with 51.25% of the vote. But now, things were going to proceed to the next election, and this one was going to be a very big one in Alberta. I hope you enjoyed that episode and our look at the social credit party years of Alberta. Next episode, we're going to look at the progressive conservatives years. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many you can sink your teeth into. We also love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those links in the show notes.